Hello, and welcome to Special Delivery, a podcast series from Miracle Babies. Miracle Babies is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to unite families with their hospitalized newborns in the neonatal intensive care unit, also called the NICU. This podcast series is designed to tell a story about the ever-evolving, constantly terrifying, life-changing NICU experience. You will hear from different perspectives to give a well-rounded picture of what the NICU is like and why organizations like Miracle Babies are so essential. My name is Heather Imason, and I will be your host. On this episode of Special Delivery, a podcast series from Miracle Babies, we will be focusing on the topic of congenital heart defects, or CHDs. In the most basic definition, a CHD is defined as a problem with the heart which is present at birth. They involve issues with the structure of a baby's heart and how the heart works. There are many different types of congenital heart defects, and they are the most common type of birth defect. We focus on CHDs this month because the month of February is American Heart Month. Today's guest speakers are Angie Guerrero, a Miracle Mom, and Kathy Dazon, a NICU nurse. Angie had Miracle Baby Camila in August of 2020. Kathy is one of the main nurses who cared for Camila while she was in her first NICU. Camila was born with two major complications, Tetralogy of Fallot and DeGeorge Syndrome. These heart defects have caused an array of complications for Camila, which have resulted in her being in the hospital for the past six months. Here is her story. Angie, can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy and your labor and delivery with Camila? Yeah, with Camila, my pregnancy went by pretty fast. And fast probably because busy with the other kids. And how many other kids do you have? Three other kids. <laughs> I have a 10 year old and a soon to be five year old and soon to be three year old. Oh. So with Camila, I had one actual doctor appointment that was face to like face to face and then COVID happened. So after that, it was just a, like a telephone appointment and kind of gave them my history. And I had asked like, you know, should I, are we going to have an in-person appointment for my next one? Since this one was a phone visit, but they, they thought, you know, because of my history, it's fine. I didn't need to. So then yes, my next appointment, um, another phone visit, everything seemed fine. And my next appointment would be, my next in-person appointment would be my anatomy scan. So at that point I was almost 21 weeks and I only had had one actual in-person appointment. When I went to this appointment, it was, it was on a Saturday and I've had anatomy scans done before but this one was a really, it was a long anatomy scan. And I remember I'm just laying there and I did notice that the tech was focusing on the heart a lot. Now I didn't know exactly what the heart is supposed to look like, but I knew for sure that she was looking at the heart. 
she had me get up a couple times and she just said that, it, you know, the baby was being complicated. So I was like, okay. And finally at the end of the visit, she said, uh, don't be surprised if they call you back in. So I was like, okay, you know, have a good day. And I walked out and I just remember feeling so, so hot and just felt like something was off and wrong. And I remember telling, um, telling my fiance and my sister, you know, I feel like, I feel like there's something wrong. You know, I feel like she was paying close attention to the heart, but again, I, I wasn't sure that was just my, my feeling. So then that Monday, uh, a genetist called me and I remember I was doing laundry and my heart just like when I got the phone call and she told me, you know, she's a genetist. I, I don't know. I feel like my heart just like dropped and I didn't know exactly what she was going to tell me, but she did tell me that her heart looked abnormal and that it could be something or it could be nothing, but they did want to follow up. So like I said, at this point, I'm already halfway through my pregnancy. So I went to go see cardiologist and they did a very thorough scan there, as well as they had a, a high risk doctor come in and then they had an ultrasound tech there as well. And I was there for a pretty long time. They also wanted to do an amnio, but I declined doing that. So once they were all done with the ultrasound, they did confirm that there was something wrong with her heart. And uh, her cardiologist, Dr. Levy, he came in and he, he's great. He drew up her heart for me and explained exactly what it was. And he says, you know, she has tetralogy of a low, which is made up of four defects. And she also has very large pulmonary arteries, which tend to cause respiratory issues. So not only was it a heart problem, but also a lung problem too. And so once I found that out, it was really hard to, I guess, enjoy my pregnancy. It was more, I was scared. Yeah. Understandable. Um, yeah, there was so many different outcomes. They said that that heart defect was linked to DeGeorge syndrome. So that was why they wanted to do the amnio, but it, it didn't matter to me if she had that. And they said, you know, families just like to be prepared for that kind of diagnosis because there's a lot of different variables that come when your child has DeGeorge. And they told me, you know, they usually have like mental disabilities and just a bunch of other things. And um, I didn't, I didn't care about that. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do the amnio. Uh, they started to touch base on what could happen, you know, while being pregnant, you know, that she could develop heart failure while in utero. And so that is something that they would monitor very closely. I had appointments like every other week. Uh, they did say there is a possibility of, so losing her while pregnant, losing her um, after delivering, you know, the possibility of stillborn. And so that was just kind of on my mind throughout my pregnancy, just really scared. They did give me the option. I had three weeks if I wanted to terminate the baby, you know, and it was like, no, I'm okay. I don't, 
I don't need time to think about that. You know, it was 21 weeks at the time. So they said I had, I had three more weeks to think about that. And so they followed up with the phone call shortly after and kind of just went over and wanted to really make sure that I was planning on continuing with the pregnancy and if I fully understood what it meant to, to decide to carry to term. So yeah, I, that was my pregnancy and it was, so when it finally was time for when I had to deliver her, my water broke exactly at 37 weeks. And I also had, a, I had a lot of fluid in there. I had, I don't even know how to say it correctly. Poly, poly had, poly, you probably know the word poly yeah, that it was a really big mess when my water broke. I was like, what is this? It's like an ocean. I was like, oh my gosh. I just remember the car was soaked and I got to labor and delivery. Like the wheelchair was soaked. Like, oh my gosh, this is not like with my last, with my, cause my water only broke with um, my third, my third baby. And it was just like, like trickles little by little. Not, not at all how it was this time. I, I remember I was having some contractions in the car and every time I was having a contraction, just more water would gush out. I was like, man, this is, so, this is so uncomfortable, you know, but the whole time while we're going to the hospital, I'm just like thinking about her and how she, how she's doing in there. So I get to the hospital. I was in triage for a very long time. Fabian had to wait in the, he wasn't allowed to go in until I was actually, until I actually had a room. I did. So that was like, I was in triage for like about two hours, kind of give them uh, you know, the background of Camila and her diagnosis. And so, yeah, they were moder monitoring her. And um, once I got into the room, things kind of just went really fast. I remember they are like, okay, like get comfortable. They had just turned the lights off. And as soon as they turned the lights off, they like walked out and came running back in like a minute later. And I you know they, they were just like telling me to like hurry up and move, hurry up and turn to my side because their heart rate was dropping. They couldn't get a good read. And uh, everything just happened really fast. Like a bunch of people just kind of came in. They were trying to put a, a monitor like on her head, on her scalp to get a better read, but they weren't, um, they weren't able to. So then everyone just kind of came and they were asking me a bunch of questions and I thought I was just going to the OR in case I needed a C-section. That's what they were saying. But that's how it ended up happening. It ended up being an emergency C-section and everything happened so quick. They gave Fabian uh, like his, I don't, know, I don't know, they were like scrubs or something to like dress up to go into the OR. But from what he said is they gave him the scrubs. He went to the restroom, changed and Camila was already out and in the NICU. Yeah. So when they put me in the OR, I just remember being so scared and like looking for Fabian. I'm like, wait, I thought this was like just in case, you know? And um, yeah, I just remember them putting like the mask over me and me trying to fight it one time just because everyone was doing so much. But so when I woke up, I just remember waking up and I, I don't know where I was at, but I couldn't hear anyone. And I just remember asking like if she was okay, if she was alive and like no one was responding to me. And then finally I hear Fabian. I just remember being in so much pain and I ended up finding out 
not that day, I think the next day I talked to the doctor, maybe like two days after that, because I didn't really know like exactly what happened. I was like completely knocked out when that all happened. Um, that she was actually born not breathing. So they intubated her in there in the, in the OR and then took her to the NICU, but that she responded really well once she was intubated. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I guess maybe uh, it was a good thing I wasn't really awake and aware because I probably would have freaked out if I would have seen that she was unbreathing when she was born. And yeah, I remember seeing her. She was just so tiny. I was like, she's super tiny. She was four pounds, nine ounces. My smallest baby for sure. Mm -hmm. And I was just glad that she was okay. But that after that, everything just felt like such, such a blur like when I try to think back to it I'm like how did we get past that how are we past that you know I can't believe that all happened like trying to think back to that it feels so it feels so long ago but just still so fresh yeah well you had a lot of other stuff that kind of came and hit you afterward that you don't really get to process yeah all of that because you kind of have to just move on to the next thing Exactly. Exactly what you just said. Yeah. I never really had time to like stop and process what was going on like at that time. Yeah. So like just even now, like I recently have been looking back at her photos from before and not realizing how sick she really looked and was, you know, because I never really stopped to like let myself process that. And now I've just like now looking back at all her photos and just everything that has happened. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this all really happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was my pregnancy and my delivery experience with Camila. So since you also had three other children, what do you feel like was the biggest difference and maybe even the biggest hurdle you had with this pregnancy during COVID opposed to with your other babies when it wasn't COVID? I guess really just the difference was I was just really worried throughout the whole pregnancy. And with COVID, I had to go to my doctor's appointments alone. And even when we would go to see the cardiologist, where I really wanted Fabian to be able to go to hear from the cardiologist himself exactly specifically what was going on. He never was able to go to any ultrasounds or any appointments, which was really unfortunate. I could phone him in, but it just wasn't the same. The kids are here. (laughs) We're here at home because, you know, there's no school. Yeah. And so that really, I feel like, of course, like I told him, you know, what was going on, but it didn't really register to him until she was here and born, what it really meant, what her diagnosis really meant. So I felt really alone for a a long time. It was just hard. I feel like it was definitely, it definitely was hitting me hard. And the kids, I, I briefly told them, my oldest kind of explained, you know, I said, she, she's having some heart problems, I said, but she's going to be okay. I said, she'll be in the hospital for a little while. I said, she won't be able to come home like you guys did. I said, but it's okay. I said, she just needs a little bit of help. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just kept it very brief with the kids, but did keep them in the loop. So they knew, so they knew, they knew it 
time she was going to be in the hospital for some time yeah yeah so we also have Kathy here who was Camila's primary nurse Kathy what was your first interaction with Camila and her family I actually was we have position where you kind of help out with breaks and I remember going into her room I had an instant connection with her and Angie like we would just sit and talk even though I wasn't necessarily taking care of Camila yeah that was my first experience and we just hit it off right away she asked me to be a primary nurse and of course I was said yes and can you explain to some people who might not know what a primary nurse is Oh, yeah, of course. So primary nurse is a team. So it wasn't just me, but other nurses, too, that every time we came on work, uh, we would um, take care of the same baby uh, to promote like consistency and just better outcomes and better care for our babies. Yeah. And had you ever had a baby in the NICU or a primary that had some of the same complications that Camila had? Um, No, not specifically. Um, In our NICU, we don't specialize in cardiac defects, um, even though we do have a great pediatric team and we just don't do surgeries at our hospital. So no, but I did really appreciate learning and getting to know more about her um, diagnosis. Yeah, so I guess in in a way, it was a learning process for everyone, for you and for Angie and mm-hmm. going through this NICU journey, not only with a cardiac heart defect, but also in COVID. And so Kathy, what are some of the biggest things that you've noticed in terms of differences with just your job and being a NICU nurse in COVID? Oh gosh, in the beginning, I think just the fact that nobody really knew what COVID was or exactly everything about it. So everyone was just scared and, and, the recommendation for hospitals was to reduce visitation so that you could reduce transmission. So at that point, it was only one parent at a time. And that was just really difficult for us to swallow because having a baby in the NICU is stressful and not having your support person for the caregiver. I just, it was just heartbreaking for us. So that was initially one things we really struggled with and, you know, the mask and the goggles, like for us, it's like that connection with parents and babies. Like when Camila finally like started smiling back at me, it was so hard that I couldn't, she couldn't see my smile. So yeah, a lot of things like interpersonal relationship, it's, it's a lot different with COVID obviously. Yeah. And did some of your standard of care in terms of like, I know a lot of NICU nurses will just hold their babies while they chart or, you know, they're a lot more hands-on with their babies. Did some of that change during COVID or did that, was that still able to stay the same? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Things did change, but 
for example, we, like you said, would hold babies and can't take them. It's just a lot strict. And of course, we want to be fair because we didn't know a whole lot about this virus at first. But again, we tried to keep our care as consistent and a, the quality of care as possible while being safe. Mm-hmm. And so Angie, what was a typical day like for you in the NICU with Camila and Kathy? So I, every time I had to go to the NICU, I was always super like, she had a great team of primary nurses. So I felt really comfortable, even though I had to leave her. If I knew that they were there with her, I was okay. I knew she was in good hands. So every time I'd get to the NICU and if Kathy was there, they would have done like some type of photo shoot. She would have got her all ready. And so that made me really happy that her nurses would really interact with her and care for her because it really just, it makes a difference for the baby, obviously, you know, the consistency of care and babies can feel that, you know, the love. And for me to see that, like I said, it just made me feel really comfortable that although she had to be there, she did have her nurses there caring for her. And at first when she was born, dad would go after work during the day. And then I always would go in late at night. And at the time she was awake anyways, at night she was more of a night baby for a while than day baby so it was okay with me it was okay I would go and I would just hang out there hours and hours and even though we couldn't really do much I would just carry her I would just carry her sing to her read to her talk to her and just just hold her I feel like it was really my only time that I got to hold her and just really be with her so I would just stay there till like two in the morning, three in the morning. And it was just so hard to leave her. But like I said, I knew she was in good hands. So that was my life for a while. Dad going in during the day and me going in at night. And so I got to know her night nurses really well and the night shift people really well. And yeah, that's that's how it was for a while until she got a little older and kind of got a little routine. She was, now she's up a lot during the day. So I want to be there as much as I can during the day to see her and she's older. So, and she's, like I said, she's up more once interaction. So that's another good thing. Uh, she definitely got familiar with her primary nurses, just their voices, you know, and you could tell she would like track them when they would come in, just hearing their voices, she would look around. So that was the great thing about her having her nurses there. So this week, February 7th to February 14th is congenital heart defects week, and it helps bring awareness to children or anyone that has a congenital heart defect. Angie, did you know about this before you had Camila or is it just you're aware of it now because of your situation. I remember hearing before that February was heart month, but never really looked into it. Yeah. We're aware of it now. Definitely. Now that Camila is here. Yeah. 
And if you could say anything to the world about it, about CHD week, what would you say? I would say, you know, it's, it's definitely a tough journey um, with this diagnosis, but there is joy, you know, there is joy, there is joy because there are small victories and we're not alone there. There's so many other people out there with it. And I was able to connect with one mom and her daughter has a heart defect as well. So it was great. Cause like I said, I did feel alone for a long time, but it was great to make that connection with that one mom. And I still, I still talk to her. I actually just talked to her yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it's, it feels good to be able to make that connection with someone else, you know, and kind of just share their journey. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, I would just say, try to connect with others so that you don't feel that you don't feel alone because it is, it is a journey and it's whether it's yourself or your child that has it, it's something that needs to be followed up on. So just surround yourselves with a good support system. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a good piece of advice. Yeah. So have you, have you noticed a difference in NICU admissions since COVID? Like yes. Have- up or down or are they about the same? Initially when COVID happened, our admissions were really low. Um, staying home. So, but we don't know for sure. But initially that was kind of the trend. Um, there's a point where we actually were floating to adult floors to help out because we were slow. Um, since they were overwhelmed with COVID patients. But now we've kind of picked up again. I guess now we're about mm, a little more than nine months out from when COVID started. So have you seen an influx in admissions? Like a lot of COVID, you know, babies that were conceived during COVID. I didn't think of you, but that could be a contributing factor because we are definitely <laughs> busy right now. <laughs> so Angie, what do you feel like is one big piece of advice you can give to a NICU parent who is going through this experience right now during COVID and who may potentially have a CHD baby? Yeah, just... Um really let yourself feel your, your emotions. You know, um, if you have to cry, cry, if you need to go be alone somewhere, even if it's in the bathroom, the car, just really take that moment to let it out versus trying to hold everything in because it just, just builds up and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And try to just reach out, even though it, feels hard to want to really talk to people at times uh, just because having to explain things you know over and over also it's hard to it's hard to communicate you know so try to just take that time for yourself and time for yourself and your spouse as well to really 
communicate what it is you're feeling because if not those like unspoken words it just it, it leads to like tension you can really feel that tension build up so I'd really say just really let yourself feel whatever it is you're feeling um, journal if that helps you anything I don't know whatever hobby whatever it is that you like to do try and do that I had a really hard time. I feel like I didn't do that. I mean, I did like let myself cry when I needed to definitely. And uh, especially like when I'd be driving to the NICU, if I needed to cry, that's when I would do it. Just let it out. You know, I didn't want to be crying when I'm there with her. And um, yeah, like I said, and if your baby has a CHD diagnosis, try to connect with other families, parents out there that are going through the same thing, just so you don't feel alone and have someone to kind of reach out to that knows what you're going through. Yeah. So just going back to the same thing, like having a support system there. Cause it's mm-hmm. a journey. It's a long journey. Camila's six months and we're still going through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just take it. I mean, everyone says take it day by day, you know, but it's hard when it's already been like months, you know, taking a day. Okay. I've been taking this day by day and we're still, we're still here, but that's why, like I said, it's just really important to let yourself just have a breather. Yeah. And Kathy, from a nurse's point of view, what do you feel like is the biggest piece of advice you can give to NICU parents? I think just to kind of bounce off what Angie said is to just find the joy because some days are hard, but we say it's like two steps forward, one step back, but find the joy in that day. And like, I try to, I to treat everything like, what would I want if it was my baby and you know, celebrate the little things because they're big steps for these babies and tell us what, what you want. Like we um, want parents as involved as possible and tell me like, oh, could you give my baby back today or whatever's important to you is important to us. So we're just an extension of you guys, um, especially when like, I know you're at home trying to homeschool or virtual learn and like, I, I want to be there for you guys and and again, that primary team that can really be an extension of you guys and be um, there for your baby. Yeah. And you can take a moment to think about this too, if you would like. How do you feel like organizations like Miracle Babies can help NICU parents? I already feel like there's been a big impact because sometimes as nurses, you're giving, you're trying to give the best care, but I also want to be there and like hug the mom and talk to her. And sometimes you don't have that time. So um, I appreciate um, social, the social workers and Miracle Babies being resources for parents because they're under so so much stress, physically, mentally, financially. So just being there um, again as a support system to talk to and fulfilling those needs. For example, we used to have like support groups for our parents, but again, with COVID, that's been really difficult in filling that kind of um, the village tribe kind of support that you guys have been doing. It's awesome. And 
Angie, how do you feel like organizations like Miracle Babies can help NICU parents and especially the NICU parents that are in the NICU for a really long stay like yours? Yeah, so um, before Camila, I never had like a NICU experience or anything like that. I touched base, I met our social worker and she was really great at referring us to different places. She did tell us of like different foundations that have resources for families. And like I said, I didn't know anything about that. So I thought that was really great because sometimes you just need like an extra hand, you know, um, even if it's just like getting some, getting some food or getting just like toiletries, just basic needs that sometimes you just don't even really think you know, oh, I, I need this or I could use the help, but to just have, to know that that's there and that's available to kind of alleviate some stress and know that there's a place that you can go to if you do need some help and that there are resources out there and also potentially people that you can connect with as well. So I think that's, that's great that, that it's available. And especially if you're going to be in the NICU for a while, it just, it does, it gets hard. Like I, for example, I am, I'm on leave from work and have been, and it has, has been a little hard. We didn't really plan on, I didn't really know what it meant for Camila, you know, with her diagnosis that we would, she would be in the NICU for so long or just be hospitalized after for such a long period of time. So we're still trying to figure those things out as we go along. So it's nice to have a helping hand. We want to give a huge thank you to both Angie and Kathy. Angie, thank you for sharing such intimate details of your pregnancy, your NICU experience, and how challenging yet rewarding it can be to have a CHD baby. Kathy, thank you for shedding some light on how the NICU experience has changed since COVID-19. If you would like additional information on congenital heart defects, please visit heart.org. If you would like more information about Miracle Babies, please visit miraclebabies.org. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself and the ones you love.